0: Is an Odyssey original.
1: This is KX in depth. I'm Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman.
2: As House Speaker Kevin McCarthy in trouble with Republicans now over the debt ceiling deal? We'll go in depth.
1: A sign of economic trouble ahead might be inside your local Costco and Macy's store. Also, we're going to look into why so many people love two completely different shows. We're talking about Succession and Ted Lasso.
2: But we start with the debt ceiling legislation and battles between House Republicans and their speaker. Susan Page is USA Today's Washington bureau chief. Susan, thanks for being with us again. Hey, it's great to be with you. So uh, we got this uh, bipartisan measure through the House. More uh, Democrats obviously voted for it than Republicans. Where is this going to leave Kevin McCarthy, who, as you know, got his speakership in large measure by agreeing to this sort of, you know, Faustian deal that even one member could try to oust him.
3: It's pretty amazing. I think there were lots of people in Washington betting against Kevin McCarthy's ability to negotiate a deal that he could get over the finish line. And he did that. You know, he he lost some of his most conservative members, but two out of three Republican House members voted with him on this debt ceiling deal. That's that's pretty impressive. It's it's a, you know, it's some it's one of those things that we saw some previous speakers who had trouble on their right, like Paul Ryan and John Boehner, have lots of trouble getting this kind of deal done. Kevin McCarthy managed to do it. And it is true that a single member can call to vacate the chair, which means he'd have to defend his position as speaker. Not at all clear that's going to happen. And it looks like if it did happen. That he would survive.
1: That was going to be the question I asked you. If somebody did push that, uh, does he have enough power to survive? And would it, ironically, be in part due to successfully shepherding this bipartisan deal through the House?
3: Yeah, you don't want to predict what would happen in the House. And that's a very narrow majority that the Republicans have there. But I think that this, the sense is that he is not as imperiled as we thought he would be if he struck a deal with the Democratic president. And he's, and he seems to be in pretty good shape because, for one, there are a couple of things he can brag about that are in this debt ceiling deal. And for another, I think that most members of Congress, Republican and Democratic, thought it was crucial to avoid default, even if it meant making some compromises.
2: So now it goes on to the Senate. What's expected?
3: Well, it's going to pass the Senate. The question is, how long will the Senate take to pass it? Uh, Because there are several members who want to bring up amendments for votes. None of these amendments are really expected to pass. They are designed to make a point, not to change the law. Uh, But it depends on how long people like Rand Paul will take uh, or Lindsey Graham will take in getting the debate going. But since both uh, the democratic leader Chuck Schumer and the republican leader Mitch McConnell are solidly behind this it seems very likely it will pass and it will pass either uh, tomorrow or saturday or sunday in any case before monday's deadline
1: could this be a sign of something that a lot of people would really like to see the the idea that democrats and republicans can can get together and work on something and and take uh, some kind of win out of at least part of a deal that they make with each other rather than this total nonstop, if you say you like apple pie, <laughs> I want apple pie banned
4: uh, kind of thinking?
3: You know, on the one hand, yes, it shows that they can act in a bipartisan way. This is a deal of the center. Uh, it's it's very liberal members and very conservative members who don't like it. That's the kind of politics that we used to see more often here in Washington. On the other hand, it took a, a, a it took a problem that was really So looming, so serious, the idea of the first default in American history to make that happen. So I don't think that's going to be the course of normal events going forward.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Speaking with uh, Susan Page, USA Today's Washington Bureau Chief. Still ahead, people having fewer babies around the country. Is that a bad sign? Well, doesn't it depend where they're having them? I mean, if
2: they're having yeah. them like in the back of a deli, that's right. not good. <laughs> I, mean, I,
1: I don't know if that's the topic. No. But, but it would be an interesting where, one.
2: Depends where they're having them. <laughs> right. <laughs> right now, right now, though, that thought just came to me. I don't know why. <laughs> that's uh, a good one. <laughs> thank you. Right now, though, and an really warning sign for potential economic troubles ahead may be inside stores like Macy's and Costco right now. Here to try to explain all this is Bert Flickinger, who's a retail analyst and managing director of the Strategic Resource Group. Bert, thanks for being with us.
4: Thank you, Charles and Rob. Always good to team up.
2: So, Macy's, Costco's, uh, lots of people, uh, we said it a little bit earlier in the show, they go to those stores, big box stores, big department stores, get all kinds of things. Why, looking at Macy's and Costco, why is it leading some people to think, uh uh-uh, uh, we're headed for possibly bad times.
4: Uh, pra- prices are going up. Uh, the cost of operating's uh, going up. Uh, crime is is also uh, going going up, uh, which is causing uh, price prices to increase and customer accounts to decrease. At Dollar General, which had its biggest stock drop in history today, down almost 20% to a multi-year low, uh, 50 em- employees are, are pro- protesting outside the headquarters this month uh, because of uh, so, so many deaths of, of, um, and injuries of workers and shoppers. Uh, Walmart uh, has, has less security than uh, some stores like uh, Ralph's. Uh, so that's that's causing a, a decrease. Scott, shoppers are scared of of going to stores, especially in non daylight and non busy busy hours. And the U.S. Department of Commerce is reporting double negatives in terms of monthly and yearly declines: furniture, electronics, sporting goods, uh, general merchandise, and department stores. And and as you're referencing, this is the first time in a long time uh, that Costco is seeing declining. Uh, uh, same store sales and this rate of increase is decreasing at Dollar General and uh, Dollar Tree as well.
1: But uh, Bert, I got to confess, I I get a little bugged by stories like this only because uh, I think for the past two or three years we've been hearing red flag this, red flag that, and they turn out not to be that reliable in that we hear that oh, we're this close to an economic disaster, we're going over the cliff, there was the debt ceiling thing, and now we it looks like we have a deal, it looks like it's going to pass the Senate, uh, and then we kept hearing how inflation was going to wipe out jobs, but, but employment has seemed to hold on, and then whenever we get a, a bad few months of a report from one sector, all of a sudden the next report for that sector is like oh, it, it turned around, it's good, what's going on? So how reliable of an indicator is this
4: it, it's an important insight and, and it's 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 really a split decision to your great point which is for discretionary items uh like clothes or shoes from Foot Locker, people are deciding to postpone purchases for uh getting essentials uh consumables especially groceries and gas there's good news uh, gas prices are down about a dollar a gallon But even better news on eggs, Uh, egg prices at the wholesale level are down $2 this month, are down $4 year to date. Uh, So as uh, the agriculture sector increases productivity during the current crop year, food prices will come down. That's the biggest area of consumer spending other than uh, shelter. And that, to your point, uh, will stimulate economic activity and growth in the second half of this year.
2: But how come, you know, every time I keep hearing, as you just said, about certain things like food prices are now starting, some of them anyway, to go down. Every time I go to the supermarket, granted, I'm going to probably like a rip-off supermarket, <laughs> but it seems like my bills keep going up and up and up for the very same things I bought, you know, the month before.
4: And and that's an important insight, too, and as uh, my alma mater, Procter & Gamble, uh, Kraft, Kellogg's, and others were very quick to take uh, price increases uh, during COVID. And as uh, their prices of raw materials and manufactured product declined, they did not decrease prices enough to consumers. So uh, Ralph's, uh, WinCo, Target, Costco are developing exclusive store brands or private label like Costco, uh, Kirkland, uh, and uh, uh, Safeway Bonds. So the store brands are equal to better quality than the national brands, and that's the best place to save while the national brand manufacturers and my professional viewers still uh, price gouging and your grocery bill is higher than it should be.
1: I, uh, Bert, I recently treated myself, I bought some musical equipment, uh, uh, not a lot of money, but I spent a good amount of money on it and uh, and I'm replacing some computer stuff that I have at home. So with my contributions to the economy, when will the leading economic uh, experts of this country give me a phone call and say thank you?
4: <laughs> they, should, they should give you a thank you uh, sometime after Memorial Day when back to school uh, closes out for an okay season and certainly... Uh, before fourth quarter holiday, Christmas, uh, Han- Hanukkah, and, uh, New Year's, because, uh, especially spending on musical equipment where sales have been, been soft, uh, since, uh, the passing of, uh, Dick Dale and a number of other guitar greats and, and Tina Turner and other icons, uh, music sales have been soft, so, uh with that, that a sector that needs some stimulus, uh, your stimulant of spending will be important. You should get a thank you for that.
1: All right, thank you so much, uh, Bert uh, Flickinger is going to put in a good word for me uh, with musical people. A retail analyst, managing director of a Strategic Resource Group. You know, Charles, that might be a good idea. Yeah. For a future segment on the show, yeah, is when musical greats yes. pass pass on when they die. White.
2: Yes. When okay. They die. When you're going to be more cruel when than they I am. Bite the dust.
1: But yeah. but yeah. when they join the choir invisible. Yeah. Uh what happens with music sales not and I'm not talking about right. albums and music I'm talking yeah. about musical instruments.
2: Oh you mean if more people or right. fewer people buy instruments.
1: Yeah, who want to get into music as a result of because there's somebody that they liked died and yeah. they want to is is turning into and they figure
2: there's like an empty space to take over. Yeah, exactly. There's okay.
1: a there's a a slot for me now. <laughs>
2: You know, we uh, discussed earlier in the week, uh, Rob, the uh, end of the series *Succession* on HBO, and another one that uh, series that's very popular, *Ted Lasso*, came to an end. And we, I, we well, we, we don't want to do any spoilers yeah, in case somebody yeah. hasn't hasn't yet. And we, and we seen don't
1: know it. if *Ted Lasso* was really ended or not, but it sure felt like it. Yeah, but don't go any further. Okay, no, than
2: that. Shh, but, but here's sh- but here's a real question because *Succession* is about a bunch of really despicable human beings. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they hate each other. Yeah. And Ted Lasso is like the polar opposite. Everybody is, or most people, are kind of nice and they're looking to do good. Right. So a little bit later in the show, we're going to ask the question, what draws viewers to those two shows that right. are very different and paint a very different picture of right. the world? And can like both shows. and And can like both shows. Okay. So, yeah.
1: That's going to be a good one. Uh, right now, though, a wave of retirements going to soon hit some major industries. Uh, construction, aviation, even nursing businesses are having a tough time replacing those workers. And Back with us is uh, Julie Baunke, president and chief career strategist of the balky Group. Thanks so much for joining us. Sure. So uh, the, the problem here, I take it, uh, is that we've got people retiring, but not enough people on the back benches ready to move up.
5: Yeah, and there's a lot of angles to that. But interestingly, when you looked at after the, the pand- people started to return to work um, more, when you looked at the pace or the rate of retirement post-COVID, it sped way up. And so we're dealing with this issue. I think we knew we were going to be dealing with this issue for a long time, but COVID sped up a lot of workplace-related problems, and this is just one of them. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of reasons why, and there's a lot of hand-wringing. As there should be, and it's um it's it's an interesting it's gonna the solute, there will not be one solution there will be a variety of solutions
2: well, I mean in some countries, the solution is they want people to have more babies, so that would eventually feed the workforce down the road in other countries, yep. they're trying to uh you know import more people from other countries to be part of a workforce. but in this country uh, our birth rate isn't exactly zooming right yeah. and and we're yeah. not certainly welcoming as we have been in some past years to people, immigrants coming in, so what could the solution possibly be? Well,
5: when you look at, so one of the things that, that we've also been talking a lot about is what role is AI going to play in the workforce, workforce of the future? And there are, so when, when employers look at the fact that we've had a skills gap for quite a while, with the pace of technology, specifically AI, the skills gap is widening because we have many fewer people than we need to do that work. And so so that's why employers are looking at AI in terms of what are some of the things that we can do using AI so we don't have to have as many bodies. And so there's a real scramble around that. And in each industry, it's a different type solution, but there's already at least 600 plus AI tools to help with various aspects of work. So they're they're really trying to get to catch up with that, which is almost impossible. I think we also when you also look at the stats around people who are going to four year colleges, it's dipping. You know, it's gone 15% in the last 10 years in terms of people who are seeing college as the only way. So in some cases, if we really said, how do we look at our whole process from how we start to educate kids, talk to them about careers, show them that there are a lot of careers that don't require you go in going into a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of debt and that working with your hands is just as valuable in many cases as you know as not and we have so we have to change the conversation around education which I'm already starting to see that happen um and which is exciting but it has to happen from a lot of different angles um and so that's part of it like I said AI is part of it. When you look at things like airline pilots, they have forced retirement. Right. And, you know, I guess that's good. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe you sweeten the pot for those people who want to retire early. Maybe you take another look at that and say, with advanced technology, do you really need to get out of the cockpit at the age at the age we say you do
1: right well well julie right. there there's the other problem here because uh, i'm beginning to suspect that perhaps a lot of people are not going uh, in, entering these fields or getting educated right. for these fields because they feel like that job is not going to be there by the time yeah. i'm able to do it because of of not just ai but also automation
5: yeah yeah so so you have to look at you have to look when you start thinking about what you want your career to be. The first thing we have to normalize is not having to answer when you're 22, because your career will evolve multiple times. There are jobs that in 10 years, that are going to exist that we can't even imagine today. And so the best thing we can do is create a workforce of flexible, resilient people who understand that career agility is their responsibility and that the the days of your dad and grandpa's days of going one place for 40 years is far gone. And I say good riddance (laughs) and instead start looking at what does the market need? Where's the demand and how can I take my skills and develop them to meet the demand? And so we all have to start thinking about our jobs and careers more flexibly instead of just saying, Whoo, I got my first job. Now, uh, you know, now right. that's you're not set for work. life
2: anymore. That's that's no, done. no. Yeah. I got no, a, but... I got a question for you, though, Julie, before uh-huh. we let you go, because uh, we're going to be talking about this a little bit later. So did, did you watch uh, either Succession, Ted Lasso or neither? Um,
5: succession. Absolutely. I'm halfway
2: through Ted Lasso. OK, so which which kind of person are you? Are you a Succession <laughs> person or a Ted Lasso person?
5: I am. The type of human I am, I'm a Ted Lasso human. Okay.
2: Yes.
5: (laughs) Succession Uh was deliciously evil.
4: Yes. Um, Uh
5: I enjoy shows that show all the different sides of human nature. And you know, that that certainly did. Um, so I, I can't stop thinking about the finale because it was so good. OK, um, but I'm about halfway through Ted Lasso. And I love that. It makes me feel a different way at the end of it.
1: We're going to be digging into that and why people like yeah. both shows. Uh, Julie Balky president and chief career strategist at the Balky Group. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Well, remember back when some experts were just telling us they were predicting there's going to be a huge pandemic baby boom because we were all stuck at home. And guess what we had time to do? Uh, Play chess. Exactly.
2: (laughs) Well, new numbers. Apparently that's (laughs) the case. Apparently so, because new numbers from the CDC show there were fewer babies born in the United States in 2022 compared to 2021. This is birth rates have yet to climb back to 2019 levels. Karen Benjamin Guzzo is a family demographer at the University of North Carolina. Karen, thanks for being with us.
6: Yep, happy to be here.
2: So are people just not having sex anymore? What's going on?
6: Uh, Well, there is some evidence that maybe uh, rates of sexual activity are down. I think the bigger thing is, though, people are having sex but they're not really forming relationships or at the point in their lives where they feel they can have kids. So it's not really about sex. It's about other factors.
1: So is it a cultural thing? Is Are we as a culture just kind of like, eh, I don't care anymore?
6: In terms of having children? Yeah, in terms of having case.
1: children, building a future. I mean, we just talked about uh, a, a problem with employment that a lot of people are not getting educations to go into certain fields because they may feel those fields aren't going to be there. So they kind of give up
6: what's happening here necessarily i think in general research shows that uh, young adults still want to have kids most of them still do uh, and they want to have about two kids but they have heard what everyone else hears which is you should wait till you have kids until you're in a good relationship until you have a good job until you can pay all your bills uh, buy a house in the suburbs to send your kids to the good schools and Let's face it, that's really hard to establish and accomplish these days.
2: I was going to say, if they're waiting to have, you know, good relationships and being able to buy, a, a, you know, a house in the hills and all the other things you ticked off, good luck.
6: Yeah, I think when they're looking at, you know, what their parents or previous generations were able to do, they're they're comparing themselves and saying, I'm nowhere near where my parents were at my age. And I don't know how it's going to get better. And they're not really wrong to think that. <laughs>
1: So are birth rates getting so bad that at some point we're going to have to have a national campaign to tell people, hey, have babies now?
6: Uh, We could try that. It would not work. (laughs) Other countries are trying to do that. They haven't had a whole lot of uh, success in really budging birth rates. So we're seeing this happening in Europe and and East Asia. Uh, I think what we really need to do is figure out what it is that young people who either haven't had kids yet or have had one kid and say, I don't know if I can afford or have another is figure out what it is they say they need. Um, I think the student loan issue is important. Housing costs are important. Uh, Stability in the labor market, those things are important. I think when the economy looks better to people and people feel more confident in their own futures, That that will be more effective than just saying, hey, you've got to do it because otherwise the U.S.'s population is going to shrink. No one's going to really take one for the team because having a kid is a really big deal. It's (laughs) it's a lot of work and we don't give a lot of support to parents in the United States.
2: I'm curious, other than a period of, let's say, during World War Two when the birth rate went down. But then, of course, you had the baby boom that followed other than a period of, of a protracted war. Were there analogous times in this country's history when we had a, a fairly dramatic dip in the birth rate, and if so, what reversed it?
6: Yeah, we saw that uh, during the nineteen seventies, that birth rates fell. Uh, there was a massive restructuring of the labor market, and when the economy recovered, people tend to do better, and so that's what we actually thought would happen after the Great Recession—that is that fertility rates would p- tick back up—and they really haven't. And I think there's a lot more economic but also social uncertainty. So I don't think it's cultural in the sense of people are rejecting having kids. I think what they're doing is saying, I just don't know about the future. I don't really feel confident about what's happening. You know, there's political polarization, there's climate concern, there's all these other things happening. And I just, you know, they're they're hesitant because having kids really to me, and I think to many others is sort of this, this irreversible thing that you do. It's you know, you're you're a parent for at least eighteen, twenty, twenty five years in terms of having to like really support your kids, and that's a big commitment. If 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 you don't think that things look good anytime in the future, you might hold off on doing that. And it gets to the point where people might have decided not now, not now, not now for so long that they sort of missed their window to have kids.
1: Oh, say so. Granted, we we could use a change in the culture, a little less divisiveness in our political lives, that's going to be hard to pull off. But is there something that the federal government could do, or even state governments for that matter, in helping the birth rate come back by more child tax credits or things of that nature, and would that help?
6: Well, I, I think they would help things like the child tax credit. I think expanding uh, child care centers and options for, for people so that they can continue to work and, and uh, still have kids that are in, in safe and secure child care places. Uh, I think addressing, again, student loan issues would be a big one. Um, What we don't have in the United States compared to pretty much every other country is any sort of paid uh, parental leave. Uh, I think we're one of four countries, literally in the whole world, uh, that don't have that. So there are policies that we could put into place that might make people feel as if it's less risky to take on having a kid.
2: You know, it would probably work being able to buy kids at Costco. (laughs) <laughs> or, or Macy's. Yeah. <laughs> All
1: right. Thank you so much. That is uh, Kieran Benjamin Guzzo, uh, a family demographer at the University of North Carolina.
2: Now, we are going to talk as we've been promising mm-hmm. about two shows, uh, Succession and Ted Lasso, both mm-hmm. very popular. Right. And just to let people know, we are going to try as best we can mm-hmm. to avoid spoilers because we realize that not everybody who is who has been watching those shows has seen the last episodes for the season anyway. Well, Succession has ended. We don't know yet about yeah, Ted
1: Lysso. It's up in the year
2: But as a warning, you know, we can't help it. Something may slip out. Right. So if you don't want that risk, then, I don't know, go shopping. Or yeah. Something like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, or just kind of halfway listen and yeah. not really pay attention. Yeah. Uh, so uh, with all that in mind, there are people that like both of these shows. And the thing that's weird about that is that both of these shows are very, very different from each other. There's definitely a different feeling. Uh, Tracy Pearson's a pop culture analyst and attorney who studied human behavior before, which is something I would imagine would have to be hard to study. But for uh, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. It's always great to be with you folks.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, so for people who like both of these shows, they are polar opposites. Why would somebody be attracted to both shows when they both have such different messages about human nature?
0: It's interesting that you say that because they are very similar in that um, they're both both uh, shows that are very character driven that th- these are characters that can't be written by computers. They are written by people who have lived experience. That's why we identify with them. Um, but more importantly, they're survival stories. Both of these shows are survival stories just they're they're presented in different ways.
2: yes but but the way they're presented to uh, Rob's point is they present a very different picture of human nature and uh, human interrelations and even family, because both of them are kind of about families, right? I mean, succession is about an actual family. Ted Lasso is in a way about uh, a coach and the family that he sort of uh, adopts, which is the the uh, football team, the soccer team uh, that he's now coaching. So they're both in that sense about families, but the way these families interact paint very different pictures of the world. One is extremely uh, cynical, succession, and the other is kind of very rose-colored glasses. Uh, So how do people, why would the same person, for example, viewer, be interested in both of those stories?
0: Well, because what they do is they rely on uh, very long-standing, highly effective narrative techniques. So when you look at uh, Ted Lasso, uh, this is an underdog versus the world story. We can get behind the underdog. We are attracted to that story because we are attracted to the virtues that are, are presented by that character. And we see what is generational trauma as the basis for that story. We see uh, the reason why he's hired is is as a sort of uh, attempt to retaliate um against uh her ex-husband so rebecca's ex-husband um and she has a family history that she's drawing on in in that experience as people will learn if they watch the show when you look at secession you're looking at a story of survival of the fittest uh but family style and um that is also a a very common and effective narrative technique But but what we are looking at in Secession is uh, sort of this human voyeuristic desire to watch really nasty people suffer. I mean, it is it is you get you get some pleasure out of it because these are all incredibly flawed characters. And so while in Lasso, we are trying to uh, identify with his virtues in Secession, we identify with these characters based on their flaws.
1: You know, it's I, I, Charles and I did discuss this, and I think uh, part of the message of Succession, I think you point out rightly, that we like watching really evil people get theirs in some fashion. And Ted Lasso is different. We watch good people get theirs uh, after a fashion. And we like both those stories. But to me, what I got out of succession was that power doesn't corrupt. It just reveals how bad you are, really are deep down inside. Whereas the message of Ted Lasso is if you're good to other people, good things will eventually happen to you. Is it possible to believe both of those things at the same time?
0: Absolutely. It is possible to believe both of those things at the same time, because they are both grounded in in a concept of justice. If you're good, you get what you deserve. And if you are not good, you get what you deserve. Um, I also think that secession tells a, another message, which is or another story, which is that be careful for what you wish for, because everything comes at a cost. And so I think that, that there are a lot of different messages that we can take from Secession, which is why we're also intrigued by it is because it's so complex. Both mm. of these shows are complex in their own way, and they're grounded in culture. When you look at Lasso, you're looking at uh, it, sort of this British culture and, and the fascination around shortbread cookies and British tabloids. When you look at Secession, you're seeing sort of a, a, a media dynasty that it, it, it makes its money on sewing division. And we can identify with that.
1: A very fast, quick answer. Which show, if you could only watch one, would you watch? Ted Lasso or Succession?
0: Secession. There <laughs> see, I
1: don't, I don't know. I That's a weird thing. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Tracy Pearson, pop culture analyst and attorney uh, studying human wait, wait, behavior. Wait, wait, which, so you don't know which one you I would? Don't, I really don't know because there's a part of me that would love to say succession because I see myself as as right. a kind of a cynical person. But if I had to choose between that and Ted Lasso, I don't know if I could choose. You know what I would actually
2: like to see if the strike ends, the right. writer's strike, and they get to actually writing new scripts? I'd love to see an episode where they kind of take the the human nature in Ted Lasso mm-hmm. and put that infuse it into the characters on Succession and vice versa and see how that would play out.
1: They would have to put a lot of CGI in that, I think. <laughs> That's it for Kadex in depth. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.